Welcome to the 52 Love Podcast, your show for 52 love lessons in 52 weeks. Before we dive in, remember you can find the video version of this episode on YouTube along with the rest of the series. And now here's your host, Ms. Tanya Todd. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the 52 Love Podcast. I'm your host, Tanya Todd. 52 Love began as a blog series last year, 52 Love Lessons in 52 Weeks. Now we are taking the blog series to the airwaves with the 52 Love Podcast, where we explore one of those tips each week with a new guest. This week's tip is to cook with your partner. And here to talk about it is my guest, Carrie Honaker. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell us what you do? Hi, thank you for having me on, Tanya. I really appreciate it. Um, I am a freelance writer. I write for a lot of different publications, Bon Appetit to Fedora's Travel to Wine Enthusiast. Um, I love to cook. I'm a former restaurant owner. Um, I'm actually a former public school teacher also. <laughs> so I've worn a lot of hats, but, but my passion really is in the kitchen. What did you teach? Um, actually, I taught English. So I was um, an English literature major in college, bachelor's and master's. And, and I've got and realized that I probably wasn't going to make a lot of money going into English. So um, a friend of mine was leaving Stan. I bought her restaurant lease, um, opened three weeks later, and just kind of hit their own ground running. And then I had that for nine years. Oh, wow. And in that time, I had kids, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, kind of the one of the fun memories is um, when my son was really little, he used to watch, well, not really little, like middle school, dishes me. And so um, we would be really busy, and I would be screaming for dishes, and he would be saying, Mom, I just can't do it that fast. <laughs> so um, so he kind of would meet a restaurant, and then my daughter was really young, so I would bring her playpen and set it up. Um, kind of adjacent to the kitchen so she could hang out with me too. And my husband was kind of playing the homeroom dad, the field trip dad, the the kids to sports dad. And I realized I was missing out on a lot. So I put mm. the restaurant up for sale, sold it. And um, I took a year off, was a stay-at-home mom, which I'm really fortunate I was able to do that. And then I decided that I was just too busy to, to not be so... Um, so I had a master's degree and in Florida, you can start teaching the next day with a master's degree in content. So oh. I got a job within a week and was teaching at a public high school. Yeah. And it was, it was on my kid's schedule. I could take some of the load off my husband. I started cooking at home again. It was just, it was a good night. And then from there, um, after the kids graduated, my daughter graduated high school two years ago and I started, I left teaching actually right at the beginning of the pandemic so I was happy to do that um, and I started freelance writing career has fortunately really taken off so I've gotten a lot of commissions I'm really busy with writing and most of it centers around theme and kind of the cultural aspects of food and the hospitality industry which sort of lets me, you know, still part of that world that I really loved, but also not be a part of its schedule. Yeah, that's fantastic. 
So you actually chose this tip from a, from the available options. You selected this one on your own rather than being assigned. And why don't you let the audience know what your reasons were for that? Yeah. So, so they can probably um, guess by what you just said, but <laughs> <laughs> let's hear it from you. Well, actually, I will say that normally I'm a control freak in the kitchen. And I also am really guarded about sharing my space in the kitchen. Like it's kind of my domain. It's my place to um, reconnect with childhood memories of cooking with my great grandmother. And, um, you know, most of my family has passed on. So I don't have that kind of touchstone relationship anymore. And so the kitchen was really my connection to those memories. And so I, I didn't really want to share that with anybody else. And um, as the pandemic set in, and it was just my husband and I, because our daughter is a researcher in Hawaii on Oahu, and our son works for University of Virginia in Charlottesville. So we hadn't seen any family in a while. It's just us. And we had just moved here right when things started shutting down. So it was kind of that awkward, we're spending every waking moment together. And it's sort of oppressive because we're spending every waking moment together. <laughs> and so I was looking for ways for us to kind of balance things out and it not to be as onerous as, you know, like we have to stay in for safety and, um, and, you know, can't have fun because we can't go out kind of thing. And um, he has always been my sort of recipe test. So whenever I was trying something new or um, even when I first started writing articles where I to include recipes, I would include him in that process, but just really in the tasting aspect of it. Um, but I'm an engineer and he's very scientific, very organized, and he's actually a really good writer, though he doesn't write very much. More. Um, and so he started accompanying me to the kitchen and taking notes as I was cooking. So we would take, take some tasting notes for me. Um, we would adjust things and it wasn't the scary, awful thing I thought it was going to be having him in the kitchen with me. I mean, we've always kind of shared duties. Like he's always washed dishes and I've always cooked, but it wasn't bad having him be a process. In fact, he really helped me think in a different way about how I write a recipe and my audience for that particular article or something like that. So that kind of grew into us. Um, we're, we're big, like we love to go out to dinner. Usually once a week we go out to dinner and it's not always something fancy. A lot of times it's like, you know, someplace or something, but we try to go out to dinner once a week. Just, I'm not having to cook every single night. Um, so we were really missing that. And a lot of times we would choose the things that we went out for because there were things that I wasn't really comfortable cooking. Asian's just not my wheelhouse. You know, I don't really, I'm not good with making a steamy, warm bowl of pho. But, um, but we were missing that. And so he and I just kind of started talking about some of the foods that we really wish, wish that we had at home. And from that, we started developing um, the idea to try some of these things out, even though they were sort of scary to me. And so when I saw the, um, the call that you put out about the, the tip with the kitchen, like, you know, I'm going to kind of document this process and think about this and see if it changes 
our relation. And so our first um, kind of cook together endeavor was um, pickle jars and cheese. Say that one and more so time. There was a I hadn't delay. made pickles since I was. It was pickle jars and pimento cheese. Oh, okay. So I hadn't had pickles since I was a child. Um, my great grandmother, I spent summers with her on her farm and she would always make pickles. And she had this pickling cellar that I thought was the most amazing place in the world. Like you went downstairs into this dark place and it just smelled like the earth and kind of musty, but kind of fabulous at the same time. Um, and she taught me how to make pickles, but it just wasn't something that I wasn't a pickle eater. And so I never really got into that. But my husband loves pickled vegetables. And whenever we would go out, we would always get a pickle jar at places we were. And he's from the South, I'm from the North. Um, and him growing up, pimento cheese was really a touchstone for him. His grandmother would scratch and um, he just had these great memories with it. And so that was gonna be our first try together. And and he took the pimento cheese to sort of figure out, you know, what ingredients do we want to use and that kind of thing. And it was really interesting to look at our process because he went and grabbed like a hundred different recipes from the internet, books, everywhere he could find them. And he did this spreadsheet and, you know, analyzed what common ingredients were in different ones and how much of each of them and, you know, was Duke's mayonnaise the best mayonnaise and just like tons of research on it. And I went and got some vegetables and grabbed some vinegar <laughs> and a few other things and just, you know, kind of what I thought would make a good pickle jar. And so when we came to the kitchen, he had this ream note about exactly what he was going to do. And I just had some ingredients and it sort of was speaking to kind of our strengths. He is very talented really can laser in on a solution. And I'm very by the hand sort of um, fly by the moment kind of thing. And that works with us. Like he, it's, he has strength, I have my strength and together it makes us a really good pair. And so we started um, doing the pimento cheese <laughs> And, you know, he was trying to be very precise about it. And I would go over and add a little bit of salt or something like that. And he would say, well, how much did you add? I need to write it down. And I was like, no, let's taste it and see what it's like. And so I think it took us about three times of making the pimento cheese. But actually, in the end, we ended up better than anything we've had when we're out. And now that's like a staple thing that we make when we're, when, you know, we're fully vaccinated now. And so have a, a couple of friends over, pimento cheese is always on the menu because we had taken that time to work together and sort of use each other's strengths mm -hmm. and this recipe that was really good. And it and was kind of the same a source thing of pride pickles. for both of you. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> yeah, actually, and we've done it, we've kind of branched out into um, mixology also. So my husband always for any sort of entertaining we did or anything like that, he would pick a, pick a drink and sort of do the same thing where he figured out exactly what the recipe should be. And he would, um, you know, drill it down to exactly the best flavor he could. And um, from the pickle and pimento moment, we've now gone into like, we developed a sangria recipe, a sangria sparkler recipe, a mojito recipe. Um, we made pho 
and it was fantastic. So, oh, and that um, was the one that you were having trouble with, right? Yes. So, um, so pho always was intimidating to me because it seemed like it was one of those things that had to, you know, steep in the kitchen for 18 hours and all of these layers of flavor. And I really wasn't things like that, but that's just a, um, a cultural dish that I didn't really understand how to make. I just knew I loved to eat it. Um, but we actually together came up with the ingredients and sort of the, um, the process to make a really good broth. And I think it took us probably three times making it, but every time it got better. And of course, every time my husband, you know, recorded exactly what we had changed and how it had come out and that kind of stuff. So I think uh, from exploring this tip, we've really figured out kind of our, the way we fit together in the kitchen and how, um, how we can be partners in that space, not just in other spaces. Like we're really good partners in parenting and um, in tackling kind of the big issues and things like that. But we also are very separate people. And mm -hmm. I think being together in the kitchen and sort of sharing in that experience of not only developing a recipe, <clears throat> excuse me, but, um, but just the act of cooking together. Like, you know, we would drop something and we both laugh and it just added a note of levity to a time, I think during the pandemic, that was really hard for all of us. And it made me appreciate him more. It made me appreciate those things that sometimes get on my nerves because, you know, he's very, um, very uh, organized and by the book. And um, he sounds thorough and meticulous. He is extremely meticulous, which in, it, when we're like going on a trip or something, I totally appreciate that. You know, he takes care of all of the reservations and the, the itineraries and stuff like that and lets me just, you know, pick where we're going to go eat and what we're going to do mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff. But, um, but it always kind of like, I didn't think that would work well in the kitchen. And I now can see that there is a really good place for that. And I think negotiating that space um, brought us a lot closer. That's wonderful. And you both brought your, your particular strengths into the endeavor and work together instead of in opposition to each other. <laughs> Yeah, and it was also time to spend together by choice, not by necessity. Yeah, and I think um, I think it's important to find those moments like, you know, we're so busy and and obviously, you know, things have changed since the pandemic set in and things will change as we come out of it. But mm -hmm. but in general, you know, American lives are super busy, like we overschedule everything and even me with writing, like I'll take on way more deadlines than I really know I should be taking on just because I think I should, because I feel that compulsion to be ambitious, to be you know, constantly working. Mm -hmm. And I think this um, allowed us to really slow down, look at each other and appreciate each other in a place that um, I felt really comfortable, but maybe he wasn't necessarily comfortable. And so he got to see it. I think a piece of the world that I really love and I got to see how he could fit into that piece of the world. You said that you're in the kitchen that you're kind of fly by the seat of your pants. How are you 
with writing? Are you a plotter? Are you a pantser? How, do, how does it work for you? You know, to be honest with you, I go for a walk on the beach. I live right at the beach, which is, you know, I'm a lucky girl. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so when we're not in hurricane season and it's not torrential rain, um, I go for about a four mile walk every morning. And I usually spend that time sort of letting the thoughts kind of organize themselves for whatever writing I'm doing for the day. And then I just sit down and write. I don't plan anything. I don't outline it. I really just kind of go. But I, always, for me, it's good to finish something and then walk away from it and let it set for a couple of days and then mm -hmm. come back to it, read it, read it out loud um, and see, you know, maybe where I'm missing some nuance or something like that. And um, I have a draft of a food memoir that I wrote like 10 years ago. And I've been working at reworking that. And I've noticed too that whenever I try to plan out a piece of writing, it always is a struggle for me. It's better mm -hmm. if I can just get myself into a mindset that's creative and mm -hmm. kind of settled and go. It sounds like you've made a date with your muse every morning to go for that walk and just let it fill you with inspiration and then you take that to the page yeah i actually wrote an article um there's this guy that i see on the beach uh i haven't seen him in a few weeks but i was seeing him really regularly when we were at the height of the pandemic and he would be down at the beach in full gear practicing some form of martial arts so mm -hmm. and florida's hot i mean even at eight o'clock yeah. in the morning it's hot <laughs> But he would be there and, you know, he'd be sweating, but he would be in full gear, have his um, wooden swords and just kind of making all these fluid motions out towards the ocean. And it was just so cool. Like a lot of mornings I would just stop and watch him for a little while and then I'd come back and write. So mm -hmm. I think it's amazing where you can find your inspiration if you just kind of look around at the world outside. I absolutely agree. You just have to take in nature and other arts and just the, the music and all of it. Just let it fill you and it'll come through in your writing. I think that's true. And I really, um, I really enjoy just telling people stories. So what are your goals with your writing? You said you're writing for different magazines and you have a memoir going. Ultimately, what are you hoping? Think you froze again. Sorry, I don't know. This is a brand new computer, so it's okay. It, it could be the internet connection. I switched. So, to, I switched the hotspot just to make sure. So start that answer again because I I didn't hear any of it. Um, what was your question? What What are your goals with your writing? Oh, okay. Um, let's see. I really just started this so that I could have a way to first keep myself busy. I'm somebody that just, I need to be doing things all the time. I, I have this sort of antsiness when I'm not busy. Um, but also I want to tell people stories and I'm working on telling my own story, but that's a lot of work. <laughs> so, so that's kind of, that might come along now. We'll see. Um, but I really enjoy hearing about, you know, where somebody grew up, 
what their influences were, how they exist in the world today, what cool or unusual thing there is about their life or the place they live or um, just like getting to know people and sharing their their lives on paper, I guess, is, is kind of my hope that I do them justice and I hope that I continue to be able to have those opportunities to tell those stories. What are some stories that you're working on right now? Um, well, I have a big story for a print magazine that I'm pretty excited about. Um, so obviously food is big for me and that kind of stay in that lane. But I really think that um, as a writer, it's important to show on things that are cultural issues, systemic issues, like gender discrimination, racism, that kind of stuff. Um, so one story that I, uh, is coming out actually tomorrow or the next day is about a local hunter. Um, he's Asian American, second generation. And uh, I interviewed him about his path to restaurant ownership and experience with um, discrimination. And it actually turned into this really interesting conversation about institutional issues in the United States of you know, problems with affordable housing, lack of access to healthcare, um, lack of, you know, paid time off, work-life balance. Um, and he had this interesting perspective. You can really think about it from where we live, but where we live is very inhospitable to people that are hospitality workers and live here year-round. Even though mm -hmm. he pays way above a living wage, it's hard to get staff. And so that was a really interesting one that's coming out soon. And then I'm working on a story about the future of oysters in the Southeast. And it's kind of exploring the tension between wild tongers and oyster farmers now that the beds in Apalachicola are shut down and what's going to be the, um, the future for these families that for generations have been commercial fishermen and commercial um, oyster harvesters now that the beds are closed and farms are starting to move in, but farms are expensive to set up. So it's kind of a story about mm. the economics of the area, um, retraining jobs, sort of like they've had to do, they're talking about doing in the coal industry. It's kind of a similar situation here. You know, that's a, a resource that we can't go back to. And so all these people that have made their lives and their children's lives and generational lives out of this particular industry are now having to kind of figure out where do we go from here. And so the background of the story is about, you know, oysters in the Southeast. But the nuance of it is this kind of conversation about economics, class, um, the future of industry, that kind of stuff. So is this a story that you're already commissioned to write, or is it something that you're going to write and then you're going to pitch it? I'm already commissioned. That's actually a really so, fun one. It's my first like splashy feature and I get my own photographer mm -hmm. and stuff. Ooh, I'm really exciting. excited about that one. Yeah. Are you allowed to share <laughs> where yet? Um, well, the, the magazine is the local palette. It's a, a um, East regional print magazine. Um, really cool kind of, uh, they do, it's mainly a food and travel magazine, but it's more about the culture of food and travel and mm -hmm. 
So the kind of stories they do sort of really fit into my lane. And I like that. So yeah, that um, sounds the great. local palette, it'll be coming out in their winter issue and it's their feature. Thanks. Well, thank you very much for being on the show today. Why don't you tell the audience how they can connect with you online and where they can find your work and how they can best support you? Okay. Um, so Carrie Honaker on Instagram and Twitter, I'm at right on Honaker. So just like it sounds, um, R-I-T-E-O-N-H-O-N-A-K-E-R. Um, if you want to read my kind of portfolio of work, uh, you can let me up on, on Muckrack. I have a portfolio there. Um, I've written for Bon Appetit, Wine Enthusiast, All Recipes, Fedors, like a bunch of them. Um, and yeah, that's how you find me. <laughs> and I'm assuming you have links to these articles on your website? Um, yeah. So if you go, like if you check my profile, you can click the link in the bio and I have all the articles linked there, or you can go to Muckrack and just look at the portfolio and it has everything. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you again for being on the show and sharing your experience with us. And thank you everyone for listening and watching. If you enjoyed this show, please leave a comment. Let, let us know what you took away from it and whether you're going to try cooking with your partner. And until next time, just remember to treat love like a verb. Thank you.